Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Beer Ladies podcast. And today we are decoding the beer descriptors. So we have just right now decided that this could be a whole series where we decode beer lingo for you, because we don't also want to be confused alone. So we're, uh, we're going to go through lots of different beer things and the ways that people talk about beer, and we're going to try and simplify them as best as what we can. But before we get into the meat of all of this, let me welcome Lisa and Katie onto the co-hosting table. Hello, friends. It's nice Hello. to see you again. And then, uh, as, as usual, thank you to everybody that has shared posts of ours on social or subscribed or liked to us on all the different podcatchers. We um, appreciate you massively. And for those who haven't done that yet, it's super easy. Press the subscribe wherever you're listening right now. That includes YouTube. Or hit us up on the socials and go follow us there. We're on Twitter, probably mainly. So we're at Beer Ladies Pod. We're at Beer Ladies Pod on Instagram as well. We've even got a new Mastodon. Like, what the hell is that even? But we're on it. So <laughs> we're on it. And on the TikTok. So we're, we're doing all the things. As well as Facebook, you know, for those who still peruse there. So give us a hit there on the, on the socials. And go and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching. And we would appreciate it. The other thing that we'd appreciate is if you would consider buying some of our merch because we love it and we think it's really cool. And also, if you'd like like our logo on something that's not listed, let us know. We can always make things happen. And the other way to support the podcast is, of course, to buy us a beer. So we're at buy us a coffee or buy me a coffee forward slash beer ladies podcast. And all of those links are on any one of our social media bios as well as um in the show notes, so on YouTube or wherever you're listening, you can head through to the show episode and you'll find all the things. Our link tree has got all the stuff. So thanks, Lisa, for setting us up on a Mastodon and keeping <laughs> it current. <laughs> we yeah. enter, please. Yeah. I don't even know what Mastodon is yet, but I'm sure Still someone learning. will tell me. Someone will tell me what to do. Still learning here. Don't worry. We're going we're gonna to have to be like a teaching old dogs new social media tricks kind of game <laughs> because that's where we're at. <laughs> okay, so as I mentioned, what we're what we're doing today is we are talking about beer language. Now, 
you've, we've all been there, right? We've had a beer or we've heard somebody describe a beer either, you know, just in passing or during judging. And they use these terms like dank or funky or um, chewy or crispy. And I think a lot of people take for granted that these words are just understood by everybody equally in all contexts. But that's just not true. Um, and one of the really interesting things is that depending on how you've been brought up or where in the world you've grown up, you know, your association with language and how you use it to describe beer varies wildly. So we thought we might just try and level the playing field a little bit. We brought some terms of our own that we have uh, grappled with, let's say, in the past. But we also asked on Twitter and we've got a whole bunch of responses. So thank you to everybody on Twitter who responded with interesting words that we hadn't uh, yet put down onto our list. And I figure we'll just go through a few of them and see where we get up. You know, we'll, we'll see. Some of us know more than others, and some of us know absolutely nothing about these words. So we'll just <laughs> go with the flow. <laughs> Katie's pointing at herself. I <laughs> can't see. Yeah, I just drink oh. the beer. I don't describe it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, then let's get on to what we're drinking. Um, because I think that all of us will probably be able to get some of these words from what we're drinking and what's on our cans tonight. So Lisa, how about we start with you? So I'm going for the uh, Rascals Yankee White IPA, um, which again, already lots to unpack there. What's an IP? What's a white IPA? I mean, we could, we've talked about IPA before and the many, many, many permutations and what that could be like. But, and again, this is a beer I love. I always had this in my fridge because it's just really good as a go-to. Um, so thanks, lads at Rascals, always a great beer. But even when I go onto the back, and I'm just going to read it for the folks at home. So we have IPA meets Belgian wit beer and orange peel, unfiltered, unpasteurized, you know, again, a lot of things there. And then just even on the front sort of citrus plus hazy. And, and again, it, you know, if you've been around the block a few times, these all mean, like you're saying, kind of different things to different people. And the, the funny thing to me is, you know, I, again, I really enjoy this beer. I, I uh, you know, again, kind of a go-to for me. And it's funny because I'm often turned off when I see hazy on a can, but in this case, it works. So again, there's a lot about what these words mean in different contexts and all, all of that good stuff. So, you know, again, lots to lots to unpack there. Even Belgian can mean so many things. So um, lots, again, sort of festival of adjectives on this beer in a good way, <laughs> but uh, definitely a bunch to unpack. Love it. Katie Friend, what are you drinking? I, okay, I am drinking an IPA from Boundary called It's Time to Be Brave. Ooh. Cool name. It is, yeah. Time to be brave. And it, it just says, um, an IPA hopped with Idaho 7, Citra, and Eldorado. Think a tropical fruit bowl and sticky pine. Sticky pine. Okay. Yeah. Sticky. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. And it's very opaque oh so it is yeah folks at so home it it's is. very uh can't see anything through that yeah interesting. no way yeah so um i'm wondering if this would qualify as chewy I th i'm thinking oh. it does it's quite uh it's got a lot of body okay yeah interesting and what interesting. are you drinking candy i have got um yeah speaking speaking of beers that have descriptors right i've got heaney's tired of being wired it's a dry hopped farmhouse ale with orange uh -huh. so Heaney are from Derry in Northern Ireland and um, 
or just at least somewhere there, I think. Yeah, County Dairy. And yeah, so so farmhouse beer. And at the back here, it says, um, get wired into this dry hopped farmhouse ale. Amarillo hops and sweet orange peel complement the funky Kvike farmyard yeast. Brewed and canned by Heaney. There you go. So, you know, farmhouse is um, always one that I, I feel like comes up over and over again and funky and what is kvike anyway? So <laughs> there's there's loads to to unpack here. Yeah, and I grew up on a farm and I'm like, <laughs> farmhouse, that usually just means stuff smells a shite, you know. <laughs> that's actually, you know what, that's actually a really good starting point because absolutely farmhouse is one of these descriptors that you'll see on a lot of different beers but mostly things like saisons or things that are brewed with kvike which is a farmhouse yeast and so it was a yeast kind of that, that was used kind of like a sourdough starter where a little bit was always kind of saved and reused for the next batches but you like you guys tell me so if you're having a saison or something that's got this farmhouse you know some of the words that go around these these beers are things like horse blanket or funky uh, you might have brett in there but not you know not always you know what what do these kinds of things mean you see i just want to know who went around licking horse blankets and then <laughs> beer and deciding that the beer tasted like horse blankets yeah oh it's it's such a great question and it, it's funny because you know when i did my initial bjcp sort of course and then exam we were living in pennsylvania and in in pennsylvania you have two different kinds of horsey people because you have the wealthy horsey people who are off doing their their Devon horse show or who are you know training dressage horses or race horses and then you have all the Amish folk who are you know raising their own horses or buying off the track standard breads often so very different uh schools of thought you know all of those things when it comes to horses and I feel like just that one definition means something so different to these two different sets of horsey people and then you take another step back to people who have nothing to do with that kind of thing day to day and then like it gets so divorced from from kind of meaning and I you know to me because and again I felt like they really hammered on that part in my particular course like we spent a lot of time on horse blanket and again to me it was like sweaty horse not not my not my thing and I love horses but again not not something I necessarily wanted to drink but other people love that particular kind of complexity again another word that yeah, kind of made something kind of doesn't but and I, I know Christina couldn't be on today but she kind of wanted us to bring up that you know some of these things are very kind of rooted in certain social classes or come from you know like the wine world and how do you kind of unpack what they mean to different audiences without being either sort of condescending or assuming people know mm. exactly what you're talking about because I feel like it's it's such a funny place but again to me it's so rooted in that like horsey different kinds of horsey culture but equally it's maybe this is why I don't love those kind of beers. So, or maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm just a Philistine. So could be that, could be that. And I think one, one of um, Christina's points, and again, she, she couldn't be here, but and we'll get the article that she was really, she really wanted to bring this up on this episode, but um, in the article, the author mentioned things like people who grow up in urban you know, cities and towns would never really have a concept of something like horse blanket or what does what does hay smell like? You know, if you've never really been out rurally. So if we could reframe or at least add on sort of urban slash rural slash, you know, all the kind of different ways that a flavor might um, feel and taste to you 
and it means that it's slightly more inclusive yeah. than just you know talking about people who might know what horse blanket smells like um whereas like i love these kinds of beers and i love them for their exact like complexity and their funkiness yep. and and all these things and katie i actually think you were asking me when we were in underdogs reopening shout yeah. out to underdog yes and um, katie was asking me there can you you know what is the difference between something that's had bread and something that is sour you know and you know you know mm. these kinds of things and bread doesn't make beer sour but it gives it this weird kind of complexity and depth that the only way that I can sort of try and think about it or the only way that I can get my head around it is imagine the funk that smell that you get from like sheep's milk feta you know that mm. almost like it's a bit funky or goat's cheese you know when you taste it it's got a slight tang but it's not sour or feta has also got like a slight tang but not sour and then mix it with something like leather imagine a leather book that you haven't seen for a really long time, but without the paper in it, just the leather. I, I feel like it's something like that. Maybe throw a bit of hay in there, but I'm trying to not be too um, rural in that sort of uh, in that sort of description. But kind of goat's cheese or feta cheese, that's what yeah. maybe it makes me think of without the dairy part of it, because it's not that. It's just the slight, slight tang. It's a tang. A tang, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. yeah. And again, though, you know, the, the urban rural divide, I think Dublin accepted. There are a lot of horses in this city. Just <laughs> that the number yes. I saw this past weekend, just being out and about, I was just like, wow, that's, that's a lot of horses. But again, mm. we are sort of unique in that here. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But I, I think, yeah, to me, that like that, that leather too, that really does, you know, it's such a kind of evocative, you know, you, you always know what sort of, especially clean leather smells like, but, you know, there's something in there that, you know, whether it's a new pair of boots or something, I think, you know, not everyone has to associate it with a saddle or, you know, tack or, or something yes. fancy and horsey. It can just be, a, a, you know, a new bag, new pair of shoes yes. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is all making sense to me now. Oh, <laughs> you, really? I, I yeah. really? I, I, that's I'm awesome. I'm <laughs> get it. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> When you yeah, go, so, so it's kind of like leather with a tang. Yes. Yeah. That okay. makes sense. Yes. Well, that makes sense to me. It's not going to make sense to someone else. Yes. It may it may not to anybody else, but I think that's, you know, that's sometimes the way that I think of it. I think people also bring in things like tobacco sometimes, but mm. it's never the only flavor because you don't necessarily want that kind of almost smoked thing but I think it's the smoked leaf part of it that that's brought in that's similar to hay so if you think of hay or straw you know it burns um and it also dries out so it's that kind of burnt leafiness that goes with that tang um that yeah. for me makes up that sort of yeah and something about not to get thing. into mouthfeel which is its own thing but there's also <laughs> something about uh, kind of the oiliness almost of that which again could come from so many things like your hops can be very resinous which is different but there's a continuum of sorts there just to kind of again think about how some of these words maybe fit together and um you know depending on the kind of beer you're drinking just kind of have a slightly different um emphasis if you like mm -hmm. yeah so Katie, give us a word that, uh, give us a descriptor that you've well, struggled with. In the what book. I did was I went through my beer stash and I started picking <laughs> out some beers. So I have a mountain IPA. Wait, which, what's that one at <gasps> home? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> ah, in my hand here. Um, called We Challenge You to a Hop Off. Okay. Salt and Wild Beer. 
And their descriptors here are this mountain IPA is inspired by the classic West Coast bitterness and East Coast juiciness. Okay, bitterness, oh. juiciness. Ooh, okay. yeah. They're okay, two descriptors. Those, those, are, those are good words, yeah. And then it says uh, of some of our favorite American beer styles showcasing Idaho 7, Strata, and leading notes of juicy stone fruit. <laughs> and pine yeah. are followed by a classic bitter finish so they're a juicy stone fruit yeah which, which is very specific i mean which you know could be a plum or you know something along those lines and yet because i feel like i i know what they're going for but i still wouldn't expect like a plum kind of flavor necessarily although they did have um because i was in in england uh last week in york and they did have the titanic plum porter on and that's that is an interesting beer so that's you know a legitimate stone fruit because it's there you know in in the beer but it's i i do always think that's interesting when it's there as kind of a, a tasting note but it's not a, a physical ingredient and it's how do you kind of parse those things because i think you know to a lot of people who maybe are new to new to beer or new to kind of getting into this level of detail um, and, and this can come too from, from you know, the, the yeast or the kind of hops they're in. People might assume that that's an ingredient in the beer. When you see something juicy, is there juice in it? And especially if the beer comes and is so opaque and so sort of cloudy, you, you might just assume it is, you know, because you wouldn't know yeah. any better exactly, if you hadn't yeah. uh, dug into it. So, and, yeah. and I just, I don't understand why, why they say juicy stone fruit as opposed to like juicy fruit. Why specify stone fruit? It's interesting, too, because I always think of like if we're talking West Coast IPA and again, already making a lot of assumptions about what we're what we're saying here. Like I, you know, I think of that sort of resinous, you know, kind of hoppiness. I think of almost too maybe more of a citrusy kind of a kind of a note. I don't personally think yeah. of stone fruit. Um, Me but, neither. you know, then again, I could see how you might. So mountain IPAs as an IPA type is also a little bit of an outlier. And I think that something that certain brewers were trying to kind of get right as, as its own style, but it's very weird because the idea of a mountain IPA is to have the bitter levels of the West Coast and the juicy levels of the New England somehow together in the same beer. Now, feasibly, that could just be an IPA um, and we could, you know, have hoppiness and fruitiness and juiciness and all the things in all the different beers. But because we've got this distinction between West Coast being bitter and East Coast being juicy or um, hazy or whatever the case is, these are all somewhat interchangeable when talking about this style. Mm -hmm. um, having both of them together is called a mountain IPA. I say bollocks first. Make, I'm, make I'm, so sick, I'm so sick of fake IPA names and fake IPA styles. <laughs> And that one actually came up on Twitter today, by the way, you know, all these different hyper-local um, kind of IPA stars, like who's who's to keep up with that? And if you haven't already, go listen to our IPA episode, because we we did rent there a bit. We did. And and you know what? This makes me think, too. And probably if we put this idea out into the world, again, we, we have a habit of this. If we put this idea out into the world, someone may do it. What if people just started putting out completely fake IPA styles and, you know, getting people to kind of rate them. And then someone will eventually make one, even if it's completely pretend, something that's so <laughs> clearly just, you know, meant to be a parody. But then it will it, it will will itself into existence. So just Probably be careful. Will. Be careful out there. Yeah. 
But but back to stone fruits. So stone fruits are typically the fruits like plums, nectarines, apricots. So the ones that have got the big kind of seedy stone in the middle. Now, I'd argue that that isn't so much a descriptor as a family of descriptors, because hmm. in what world does a plum taste like an apricot? That's crazy. <laughs> and also, would you class an olive as a stone fruit? Right. That's it. Yeah. That's a question. And that's a completely different type of flavor than exactly the other stone fruits yeah so, but when it comes to fruity flavors like we tend to think about fruits as citrus and in citrus we've got things like orange lemon tangerine grapefruit you know those kinds of flavors pineapple. then yeah. we've got yeah. tropical where we're really ah. thinking pineapple mango uh, passion fruit maybe guava as well in there um then we think of um stone fruit so that's apricot plum nectarine then we have uh, things like apples and pears i don't know what that grouping is called anymore um apples pears yeah apples and pears let's call those their own thing and then you sometimes also get berries so you might have like a berry kind of note in your beer i haven't seen many of that unless you've actually put in blueberries right. um, or raspberries into your beer i don't know how many of those flavors can come from a yeast or a hop but I'm happy to be educated, so do do share. And banana, you the... get banana as well, don't you? Sure. Especially yeah. in, in a wit. Yeah, your vice beers. Well, in yeah. a vice. In your a vice. vice, yeah. But really interestingly, that doesn't come from the hops, whereas most of these fruit flavors that we're talking about generally come from the hops. Now when we get into a whole different source of fruitiness in beers, we can talk about yeast-derived fruitiness or esters. And esters is that term for fruity aromas and flavors that come from yeast as opposed to hops. Um, and the, the most well-known one is banana, and that's in a vice beer. So banana in vice, um, orange in a vit, um, and then you do get some sort of apple pear sometimes in like english ales but also pear quite a lot in belgian ales so those are generally linked to the yeast that's used as opposed to the the hops that are used but those are almost kind of like well-known things it's quite difficult because unless you're learning to be a beer judge or learning how to brew you might not always understand where the flavors are coming from oh, even definitely. if you're identifying them so it's perfectly valid to identify tangerine and banana and yet they come from different places um and you know go as deep as you want to on that <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and again just the idea of fruitiness you know thinking of, of your example there of like the, the english ales you know some of those can be extremely fruity but it would be really difficult for me to pinpoint a family mm. of fruit on some of those. It's just, a, again, it's almost kind of the sweetness, which can come from the malt, or, but is probably coming from the yeast. But, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And, and again, like you say, it's you have to know what you're trying to do with that specific style to say, is this right? Is this wrong? You know, yes. it's, uh, or, or, you know, do you expect it? Do you not? And I feel like there aren't as many of those out there as there used to be, just because everything went IPA, whether, whether, whether it was or not. It was an IPA, but yeah. um, so some of those kind of maybe more subtle, hopefully more subtle fruity flavors are kind of less, uh, you just see them less and less. So I think they're harder to kind of pinpoint. Mm. I find certain fruits very difficult to pinpoint. So yeah. plum for me is very hard. I find it to be quite a subtle flavor as it is. Like I love the taste of a plum, but I, I don't know if I could pick it out in a beer. 
apricot i probably would be able to um same with pear i find pear quite difficult to really isolate whereas apple i feel like i'd, I'd know quite well it can also be an off flavor though that's you know being yeah. green apple can also be an off flavor so that one is quite sharp and quite fresh in your nose but um some some are fairly easy so smelling grapefruit you know is kind of easy to to identify and isolate um yeah orange too yeah i agree with you on, on the apricot especially because it, it's funny because i i do not love an apricot in irl but uh you know dogfish head makes this beer apricot hops and, and a couple others um that are lovely and they're made with apricot it's there in the boil and you know you get a bit of again i would say you get a fruity character which for those of us listening i'm air quoting but you don't get that kind of hit over the head of like apricot which i would find really cloying but it, it's just dialed back enough that like most of it is fermented out so there's again just what i want to call a generic fruity flavor mm. so yeah one last thing on stone fruits and um, we didn't mention yet prunes and raisins mm. Now, those ones can be quite easy to identify only because you'll you'll often find them in darker, almost like Russian imperial starts or barrel-aged barley wines. You know, these kinds of flavors can come from um, the yeast, but also the malts. Um, and because they're quite high gravity beers, the more sugar that you've, you know, the more sort of sugars that you've added to a beer and the more that's left over there, it kind of promotes esters, which is the, you know, the yeast is promoting these kinds of aromas. Um, and those ones I find, you know, you can describe quite easily a plum, not a plum, a prune or a raisin. You get raisin a lot yeah. um, in beers. Yeah, like you say, and I think especially in a lot of some of the, the darker Belgian beers, whether it's mm. like a, a, a Belgian strong ale or some some doubles, you know, you get a lot of that raisin character. And again, like it in the beer. Don't Don't want to eat a raisin. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one, Lisa. Yeah, like not for me. Ways. <laughs> Raisins are all good. Well, here's one that I struggle with a little bit. Um, when we're talking, and my friend Michelle on Twitter said the same thing, but when we're talking about specifically noble, especially German or Czech hop styles, you know, how do you describe these hops that are so, they're in a way, they're so well known for being exactly what they are, that it feels like they don't always have a description. So like a SARS hop, I always think of a SARS hop as quite a spicy hop. But for people who are just drinking a Pilsner every day, and knowing the difference between that kind of hop aroma, which for me is sometimes earthy, spicy, as opposed to, let's say, citrusy or tropical, how do we describe those kinds of hops in the best way possible? Is it slightly oh, herby? But I mean, herbal also, herbal is such a big family of, yeah. of things, isn't it? Like what kind of herbs? I don't know. Yeah, because I, I almost find with those, I think more about what they don't smell like. Like you were saying, kind of with mm. citrusy or, or that kind of thing. Or I think about, you know, some of the, the, the English hops where you do get things that are, are much more kind of maybe grassy or again, but earthy again, because I feel like there's a, a continuum of earthy. But uh, yeah, I feel like spicy is what I always go to thinking about those noble hops but again that only means something in kind of in contrast to something else so it's I feel like on its own it's hard yeah. to like I don't know that you would you wouldn't drink a beer and say oh that's spicy yeah. uh you know unless you'd put something else in it but compared to you know like something that was like you know hopped with you know fogles or something like that very different you know very different experience but again you have to have that full kind of um you know taste and test to 
know the difference. It is one of those things that I think if you're just drinking the beer to enjoy it, you know, I really wouldn't worry about what all of these things are, you know, just enjoy the beer. And if you, but if you want to start identifying the beers that you tend to like, then it starts to, you know, be helpful that you like things that taste like this kind of fruit, or you like things that um, smell like this or whatever the case is. But I think that the other really important part about all of these kinds of terms is that they're so um, relative and you need calibration. So, you know, when we talk about bitterness, you know, bitterness is not the same as hoppiness. um, And we've spoken about that before. Hoppiness can mean lots of hops, but it can also mean very low bitterness, as in the case of a New England IPA, where it's juicy and it's all in the aroma and the and the cream in it, or the, the mouthfeel and the, the fruitiness of it, really. <laughs> Whereas bitterness, you would probably not expect, but a pilsner is very bitty, bitter, um, but it, it doesn't have the same kind of bitterness as, as other kinds of beers. But to be able to calibrate and dial that in, you have to kind of taste a lot of things and try and try and just look at only one thing. So what is the bitterness in these three beers? Which one is the highest, medium, and lowest? Then maybe which one is the fruitiest, high, medium, low? Then what, of the fruity ones, which kinds of fruits do you think that they smell like or taste like? But it kind of takes practice, which is why becoming a BJCP judge or a Cicerone um, takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. And it's a skill. It's something that you have to continuously hone in on. It's not, uh, not that intuitive. Yeah, especially as these styles have changed and evolved, as they as they always have done. I mean, they've never been, you know, sort of static. And and I think uh, I saw Pete Brown and some other people talking on Twitter. Uh, maybe RIP. We'll see where we are in a couple of weeks when this drops. Or you know, <laughs> but um, you know, talking about how people judging what would be a West Coast IPA now being like, oh, it's too bitter when because they've gotten so used to kind of other kinds of IPAs. Mm. And like you say, that bitterness then reads very differently if you're not used to either that other version or or even, you know, if we go back before that, you know, I think about before you had like Stone being like, oh, so bitter, yay, uh, manliness stuff. Um, but, you know, before that, like you, you had, you know, your IPAs, again, just to pick on IPAs for a minute, weren't that, like they weren't the same kind of bitterness and then they were super bitter. And then, you know, again, these things kind of ebb and flow but uh you know as these new things come online how do you stay calibrated and it's it Mm. it can be difficult and I think too when we see many 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 different terms on the back of a beer like which one do you say oh that's the thing I'm looking for like it can be it can be challenging if you just want to try something new and you know unless you know you know the brewery and you're like okay they're gonna they're gonna steer me right no matter what like it can be a challenge if you're just like look beer is expensive now I want to pick out something for the weekend how can you kind of you know, again, sort of balance out these different competing terms and know I'm going to like that. Mm. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up um, bitterness and IPA bitterness specifically, because we had a wonderful comment on Twitter from John the Beer Nut, and he said IBUs, as in the (laughs) international bittering or bitterness units, which is a term that that especially during the IBU arms race of you know the sort of 90s and early 2000s you know everybody was talking about how many IBUs are in your uh, IPA um, knowing that humans don't really perceive well above I think it's 80 but almost nothing above 100 and yet people were claiming to have 120 right. IBUs beers and it's kind of a weird one for me I feel like that that along with 
dank, which we'll get to in a minute, was just one of these kind of like, kind of like beer bros sort of yeah. language that people used almost willy nilly. I don't actually think that people always really took them, took it seriously or themselves, hopefully, but you don't know how bitter a beer is unless you're really tasting it against against something that isn't as bitter. So being able to spot a 60 IBU beer on, you know, on the dot just by taste without anything before or after and be accurate every single time, that would be impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, then you could but, like insure your tongue like the, <laughs> you know, the, the perfumers insure their nose to get their, their scent right, you know. Oh, you could absolutely. be a definite asset yeah. to someone there if yeah. you could do that every time. But even so, you know, bitterness is is one of those things that people perceive quite differently as well. You know, some people are very partial to it, and some people really aren't. Um, yeah. So, and and then you get you know like super tasters who will perceive it more vividly, so therefore sooner than what other people would. So you know, like Lisa over there, you know, the people who are not super tasters would probably be able to handle more bitterness in a beer because they're not tasting it as explosively as what a super taster or a person who's very trained um, might be able to might be able to do. So I actually kind of think it's a little bit of a fuck you to those, you know, guys there in the early 2000s yeah. that you didn't need an 120 IBU beer, you just needed one that was brewed well. Yeah, no, it. it was a it was a marketing thing and it was again it mm. felt very broy and I feel like Again, yeah. my, my own personal view, I feel like that's where that kind of came in because I feel like wasn't there in the same way before that. But I mean, again, like bitterness is such an interesting thing because I just speaking as a super taster, I'm great with bitterness in beer, great with bitterness in chocolate, can't stand the kind of bitterness that comes like with coffee or, you know, there's just like a completely different genre of bitterness there for me. Or even like, um, again, I know we're going to talk a little bit about bitter sour, but some of the, you know, some of those things, some of them I love and others cannot do. So it's, it's so, there's so many gradations in each of those things that it's, uh, you know, it, it's a tricky one, even if you're trying to do it on purpose, which uh, I, I'm not mm. convinced everyone was trying to do that on purpose at first, but uh, you know, mm. here we are. Yeah. So Katie, tell us about bitter and sour. Well, apparently bitter and sour are different things. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> no, we were chatting about this and the Irish word for bitter is sharav. And I believe the Irish word for sour is sharav. And the Irish word for like acidic is sharav, which is the same word. So I'm just thinking that we, I never learned to differentiate properly between bitter and sour or something that's slightly acidic it was just all grouped into the one descriptor for me possibly when I was growing up and um because yeah anything that's sour it's just sour to me I just can't I haven't figured out how to how to unpack sourness at this stage mm, yeah um I figured I, I think I've started to figure bitter out I will say, but I think they're used interchangeably a lot in 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 the Irish vernacular, unless yeah. you know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And you know, like we were talking before that you know, especially all of those of us who have kids who are you know growing up in Ireland, they see them as one thing, even if they're mm -hmm. not necessarily native Irish speakers. So how much of the you know, there's this maybe the sort of almost a uh, sort of phantom influence of the language on 
how people perceive these different kinds of tastes. So again, we would love to hear from more people and dig into this. And, you know, I'd love to see if uh, maybe like Mother Folklore or someone out there has a, has a view on just, are there things that are perceived differently in Ireland because there was maybe one or, or totally separate Irish words for something? Because um, we certainly see that in like how, uh, you know, Hiberno-English works. Um, so does it filter through to how people taste things? I, I, I suspect it does. So. Mm. I suspect it does. My son, who is 12, confuses or conflates bitter and sour all the time. So, you know, whenever we're talking about whatever food or drink we're, we're having, he'll always say, oh, it's so bitter. <laughs> we're like, no, it's not. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's sour. That's what you're, you know, or it's acidic or it's tangy or it's tart or it's, you know, something. And he's like, nope, it's bitter. <laughs> That's just it. You know, and that could be like lemon meringue tart, which is not bitter by any means mm, no, no. at all. And then, and then it's like even within things like that, um, you can get descriptors that are kind of like a little bit um, negative, slightly negative, yeah, and ones that are positive. So I actually, there is someone wrote um, a thesis on terminology in beer reviews, and we'll we'll link it. But they they just did one on acidity, and I'll just read it out. So too much or negative is sour, acidic, sharp, hard, biting, or pricked. Whereas the right amount is tart, crisp, piquant, lively, zestful, and tangy. And when it's too little and negative, it's flat, bland, and flabby. So, oh, oh. That sounds so, dreadful. So even within one little group, there's so many ways to describe the same thing in 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 different language that doesn't really they're, they're adjectives rather than descriptors, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how I much found... of this? Oh, yeah. So it's, it's fascinating. And like how much of this comes from, again, either wine tasting or, um, you know, because I, I feel like on the beer side, we have a lot in common with like how people describe whiskey. Uh, just again, we at least we're both starting with something that's a grain. And so, mm. you know, going from there, but but then it does kind of veer off in other directions. I mean, they get very leathery right away, which of course that completely makes sense. But uh, I do wonder though, too, do we have all of these things that are really meant to be words for describing something that's really from a fruit, like thinking about wine and does it maybe just not fit? I don't know. It is really, it's really interesting. The whole, the yeah. whole, um, the studying of the language used in, in descriptors of both aroma and mouthfeel and flavor. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and then you go and, yeah. absolutely. And then you go and you look at untapped and kind of the, there are value judgments assigned to things that again, so dank over on untapped <laughs> is, you know, the best thing you could possibly say about certain categories of beer. Whereas again, I know we were going to circle back to dank that, you know, to me, I'm still like, eh, it just feels like a very negative word to me again, because I'm probably too old to be like down with the cool kids who were like, it's so dank. Cause to me, I'm like, this is something <laughs> kind of moldy or damp and you know yeah yeah what is, so, is that what it evokes for you something like moldy and damp yeah which I know is not what they're trying to convey with it because mm. it's very hip and dank and you know but I <laughs> I don't think of I don't think of a clean kind of taste I'll, I'll say that interesting yeah Katie what do you think of when you hear dank when I hear dank I think of so I grew up in the whole boot Bootlet bootcut jean generation. <laughs> and when we used to go out and it was raining, your legs would get all wet. <laughs> and you'd leave your jeans in the corner of the room. And I just thought they they smelled dank the next morning. Yeah. 
Yeah. When, yeah. That's the kind of, that's what I get when I yeah. think of See, again, that's there's so this, there's this sort of, I'm going to say the words, right? Sorry, Brown, moist kind of character. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not here for it. For people, Uncomfortable. that's good. Uncomfortable good, moistness. It's, yeah, it's not for me. It's not no. for me. And again, so, it, it may be a good beer. the border of musty for you? Is that almost yeah. a synonym then? Which, which again, I think can have both kind of positive and negative connotations thinking in like the wine world. But again, not for me because I'm not a wine person, but I know you can have like a good, like musty, like a sherry or something, but you can also have a bad, very bad one. So it's uh, maybe it's one of those terms that has, again, kind of a spectrum Yeah, Yeah. I don't know where Dank came from, but the way that I've always understood it, or the way that I've always visualized it, put it this way, is something like a wet pine forest floor. (laughs) So it can't be the leaves on the tree that are wet. It's got to be on the floor where they've been squished a little bit. (laughs) And there is, so there is a little bit of dampness to it, but that's not the prevailing feeling for me. The prevailing feeling is that slightly woodsy, piney, um yeah pine needles but slightly squished and wet and a little bit old but (laughs) (laughs) we're selling it we're selling it we are definitely selling it but it's funny because what I think I used to like beers that were you know traditionally called dank you know these kind of big west coast IPAs and I mean, firstly, to your point, Lisa, I don't know actually how big they would be now, mm, you, know, yeah. com- you know, compared. But at the same time, we, we hadn't had a more balanced approach to b- beers besides non-IPAs. And certainly we hadn't had all these different other styles of IPAs. But I don't know now. I think that now if I have something that is too much like that, it it feels as if it is grassy and green to me but not in a fresh cut way it just feels like it's I don't know like I'm suffocating in a bag of old leaves or something (laughs) oh my gosh I I love that we have sort of slightly different perceptions of it all around but we all agree it is wet and has been trod upon like that that yeah we are all there (laughs) for that but but I think Uh, you're right that's such an interesting perspective because again I I love what I think of as a you know an old school west coast IPA but again to me that's also very fresh has kind of a a sort of snap to it you know again the green is a different kind of green to Mm. me so but Mm. uh that's really interesting but I think you're absolutely right I think we've had so many of these other things and again to me when I think of like that a beer is going to be dank I think it's going to be maybe really you know, have some of those sort of resinous hops, but also have that, you know, that almost lactic or, you know, that sort of soft, you know, again, it's going to be opaque, maybe, maybe look like a juice. And really? so I feel like I'm oh. going to miss, I feel like I see a lot oh. of beers described as dank that have like old school West Coast hops, but are a hazy IPA. So again, maybe those are just the ones I've happened across. But I, I will say I, I bought one recently. I'm not going to say where it was. It was not in this country, um, and it was described as you know old school West Coast IPA, and I could not see through it. And I was like, mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. and it said it was dank. So again, I may be, I may just be scarred by that one yeah. beer. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. I would mm. always uh, think dank was was far more West Coast. Yes, me too. Yeah, than yeah. than hazy, and it's even it's like you look at it and it's, it will be slightly syrupy looking. I don't know how to describe mm, that. That's not the word I'm 
resiny that's the word yeah. isn't it resiny? Yes, yeah it's resiny and remember those those um old school west coast ipas they were often you know quite alcoholic so six and a half plus percent they were sometimes like really amber color and they, yeah. they almost made it seem resiny as well as being really yeah. bitter really like dank with that kind of pine yeah. resin kick at the end yeah and what I think always got me or maybe this is how I understand dank but it didn't finish bright it finished like mm. bitter low uh, and not in a bad way it just meant that it didn't finish like oh I want more it, it, it always felt like a sipper you know to me whereas crispy boys there's another one that we're <laughs> going to bring up um to me always feel like you know clean have another one easy drinking whereas these kind of dank ipas were always west coast and always yeah dripping in resin and they were slightly sweet too so you know it added to it there was a sweetness and a weird pine resin hoppiness and they were quite uh yeah quite well boozy is not the right word but quite heavy but yeah, um, I think there's something about that kind of, again, oiliness, whether it's a real yes. one, like coming from either the hops or something else or just perceived. Yeah, I think there's something about that where it just, yes, it gives it that extra, again, maybe heaviness is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I really don't yeah. know what the right word is, so. <laughs> but we could create uh, one and just we could. market the hell out of it. Yeah. All of these words are being created by someone. So Absolutely. why not us? <laughs> That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to like start creating all these words and and brew a beer. Ladies' dictionary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then see who starts. We have to monitor usage. Yeah, see where it takes <laughs> see, off. See which ones pick off. Which one are trending? You know. Yeah. Mm. Katie, the data analyst, is is yeah. salivating at this thought. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Getting those CVS files out of Untapped and being like, okay, okay, CSV files, yeah. CSV files coming out and we're we're analyzing yeah <laughs> so then potentially the complete opposite of dank what do we think of as crispy and what do we think mm. of that word yeah it's like how is something crispy it's crisp is it crisp or is it crispy oh god I crispy don't even know <laughs> I think a flavor so is yeah. clean I think of it mm. as clean yeah and and refreshing mm. yeah I know. I'll, I'll confess. I, I love the term "crispy boy." I just think it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it did come from crisp. So you know yeah. these these kinds of pilsners and lagers that are you know clean, refreshing. Um, for me, they often evoke something that's got a slightly more of a bitter bite at the end because there is something about that just that dry bitterness. I mean, dryness and bitterness are not the same thing again, but <laughs> that dry bitterness that you can sometimes get from a lovely pilsner, which just tastes like. Mm, that's that's the shit like that's that's the one I want and I want more you know um I don't actually mind the the term crispy boys although I think it's it's just become the new dank you know <laughs> <laughs> the new dank but, but yeah it's interesting yeah because I think crisp and crispy are two completely different words and mm, they don't yes. mean the same thing and crispy yes. is like crispy is like cornflakes well they're more crunchy <laughs> rice krispies you know in the morning they're crispy <laughs> or when you're walking on your autumnal leaves they're <laughs> crispy whereas crisp is something completely different although it is funny because besides your autumn leaves you you did bring up two um foods that are grain based and 
that's kind of synonymous with lagers and pilsners. Well, all beers, but you know, that's really the prevailing flavor. So maybe. But here, here's a question now, because I feel like when I see something described as a crispy boy, it's always, I'll say, I'll say almost always, I don't want to be, you know, write them off completely. Because again, I love them. I think they're great. And I completely agree about that kind of dry, Moorish character. But how dark does a lager have to be before it's not a crispy boy anymore? Is an amber lager? Can it be a crispy boy? But would a Schwartz beer be a crispy boy? I feel like it might not be. So I don't think so. Is it the color? Is there something just about as it gets toastier? Is it no longer crispy? Mm. I, I Again, I don't know. Because again, I, I think of, you know, the, they're both styles I love, but I don't think of them as that you know, crispy kind of yes. character. So how, yeah, where does crispy change? I don't know. I have no idea. I think idea. it changes. It goes from fest beer and it's mm. like, that's the end of it. So by the time you get into Matson or Vienna lager, then you're, you're out of crisp, crispy boy territory. Mm. Maybe, yeah, think? maybe that's it. That said though, what if you get, you know, like a Mexican lager, that's a Vienna lager and you put the lime in it, can it still be a crispy boy? But again, they can get darker. They can get a little sweeter certainly which again i think once you're beyond some sweetness level maybe it's not a crispy yes. boy anymore so i don't know if it's the color or the sweetness that's kind of the you mm. know what tips it over but mm, something in there can we can we call a cold ipa crisp oh can we call a cold ipa an ipa <laughs> is it another makey uppy name oh. for those uh, listening at home so, so, tandy is just is just no <laughs> Shaking her head. This is genuinely, this is my pet peeve. This like (laughs) sticking IPA onto the end of every damn beer style. But now the thing is, people who have had cold IPAs do say that they taste different. I maintain that they're just IPLs, which also shouldn't really be a style, except with the addition (laughs) of kind of, you know, sometimes rice and corn to change the, uh, change the grist a little bit. But uh, I don't know. I haven't had one. So I'd, I'd like to try one. Mm, or or a... I will I will begrudgingly try one. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe someone will make a really good one that we are on board with. Just just but, say but it, then it could happen. Here's the promise. If we do find a cold IPA, I think what we need to do is have Katie's Mountain IPA, a cold IPA. We need to find an IPL and we need to do like a West Coast, East Coast. We need to do like and your white IPA. But we just need yeah. to have a little IPA spectrum test so that we can figure out whether these are actually distinct styles or not. Oh, and mm. a British IPA. like. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We it's need English IPAs. Yeah. This is an episode already. <laughs> We're going to do the IPA taste off. Oh, my oh, gosh. My IPA gosh. is version two. <laughs> yeah. I feel like someone would, is going to need to like partner with us and, and brew some beers. And so if anyone's, you know, got all this tank space, let, let us know. We'll, you know, we'll help you out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, listen, I think I think we've now done quite a lot for, for those listening and watching at home in terms of these um these beer descriptors. But how about how about we do some more of these um and st- you know keep decoding this kind of language? Would you guys at home like that? Do tell us and see see if you find it useful and send things our way because we can just every now and then pop one of these episodes into your ears and um all learn together as usual yeah we want to hear pet peeves we this is we are here for it we want to decode but if again if there's something we're just like no never we want to know why yes absolutely but is there is there any um parting thought or final um 
adjective laden sort of descriptive sentence that anybody wants to uh, share with our listeners? <laughs> I think everybody just drink beer that you like. You don't have to describe it. You just have to like it because beer is for everyone. Oh, that's a great point. And I'll, I'll just, I'll add a, I'll add a note maybe to keep people thinking about this for, for another time. I'm just going to say astringency, so many things within that. Again, we would not be able to cover it all today, but that's just one word to just kind of get people thinking like how many different things could that mean? And again, that's just one, but I think we'll save that one for a future episode and start to unpack yeah. some of these other things that People like to nerd out about, but do they really mean anything? Do they add to the experience when you're buying things? I think that's really something we'd love to know. Like, do these terms help you, not help you when you're kind of staring at a tap list? That's really the, mm. you know, the ultimate question. I want to add one more in terms of um, what helps or maybe doesn't help. You know, we've been calling for years for cans to tell us what hops go into things. And we, yeah. we love it when people list ingredients because it's really good. But you know what I'd love to see? is listing things like Idaho 7. What flavors should we expect from Idaho 7? You know, unless you're a brewer, you don't really know that it's known for its tangerine, you know, um, yeah. as opposed to different kinds of hops that lend an earthiness or a floral note. So wouldn't it be fun if for those people who are listing, you know, hops in the cans, people might be able to find beers that they like based on that hop alone if you just give it one of these, you know, descriptors that we will all argue about later yes that's a parting <laughs> thought you're here <laughs> all right well thank you everybody for joining the beer ladies again this week and a shout out to everybody that has bought us uh, bought some merch or bought us a cup of coffee slash a beer <laughs> we uh, we love to see it and we'll see you all on the socials lisa will be sharing all the mastodon news i'm sure it's coming <laughs> And giving as, us as all a crash course, crash course in what we need to do. To, I, I only know, signed there. up six years ago and started using it properly this past week. So I will I will learn it all by, by the time this episode drops. So there we go. There we go. I promise to all our listeners. Experts in the house. So if you are leaving the Twitter, uh, please go and follow us on Mastodon so that we don't lose you. Um, and otherwise, we'll see you on Twitter at, at Beer Ladies Pod. Same on Instagram, pretty much the same on Facebook and on TikTok as well, because we like to share snippets of our episodes. So there is that. All right. See you next week, everybody. And thank you, co-host friends. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.